Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Superintendent Troy Roth addresses questions and concerns about the Findlay City Schools COVID policy and calls to modify that policy at this week's board meeting. Also this morning, Senator Sherrod Brown is among those working to extend the pandemic eviction moratorium. Help for those who are struggling, but where does that leave landlords? In our community and business spotlight this morning, Oktoberfest Findlay is back and bigger than ever, literally. Sarah Sisser gives us a preview of this weekend's celebration. And it's one of the most anticipated events of the entire year, and it's now under new management. We get an early preview of the annual Findlay Halloween Parade. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, September 23rd, 2021. Today is the first full day of autumn, the first morning of autumn. Technically, the change of the seasons was yesterday afternoon, about 3.20 or so. So yesterday morning, it was still summer. But uh, today, the first full day of autumn. And boy, does it feel like it. Man, Mother Nature just flipped the switch. And uh, suddenly, we got uh, fall weather. Today is National Checkers Day, if you're looking for a reason to celebrate. Maybe a good day to stay in and just play a game of checkers um, or whatever, because it's going to be very autumn-like. Um, National Dogs in Politics Day <laughs> today. The uh, National Great American Pot Pie Day. Uh, National Snack Stick Day and Restless Leg Awareness Day today as well. So... I'm thinking that uh, is not a bad uh, way to National Great American Pot Pie Day. This is a good day for pot pie. Stay in, have a have a pot pie, and play checkers with someone uh, today. It's all uh, all set. Yesterday, you remember the uh, story that we had uh, yesterday about uh, picky eaters. If your kid is a picky eater, how to uh, the be- the best way to get them over that and get them uh, to eat their veggies and, and so on. So follow up to that story. This one on the Newswire this morning, your child might not be rejecting broccoli to just be a pain. May not be that he or she is a picky eater so much as uh, certain vegetables like broccoli cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts all fall into the same category, are disliked by many children and adults. And that is because in the mouth, enzymes from those vegetables and bacteria in your saliva can mix to produce an unpleasant odor, a sulfurous odor. And um, now researchers have found that parent-child pairs have similar levels of these types of bacteria in their saliva, suggesting shared oral microbiomes. Richard, I know this is like a lot of science to throw at you first thing in the morning, but the bottom line is researchers say they, they found that children whose saliva produced high amounts of these oral microbiomes disliked these types of vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, the most. Uh, this was not necessarily the same for adults, who scientists believe might learn to tolerate the flavor over time. But the bottom line is 
that your picky eater might not just be a picky eater to be a pain in the you-know-what. They may actually have a distaste for the taste that it leaves in their mouth. So, basically, don't go, you know, cut them, cut them some slack is what the uh, scientists are saying. So, follow up on that. Speaking of food, I saw this with Autumn here. And Thanksgiving, right around the corner. I don't mean to jump ahead uh, holiday-wise and skip over Halloween and all of that, but Thanksgiving is right around the corner. It's my favorite holiday. And apparently, Purdue, the uh, uh, meat uh, processor, everybody knows Purdue chickens and Purdue uh, turkeys. And so I want Purdue... Uh, is now bringing back their Thanks Nuggets again. After selling out very quickly online last year, the Thanks Nuggets this year will be available to purchase at participating grocery stores nationwide. How did I miss this last year? Thanks Nuggets, Turkey Nuggets. Um, It's a limited edition turkey and drumstick-shaped nuggets Uh, Feature white breast turkey meat coated in a sweet potato seasoned breading. They are available in 22 ounce packages at select stores across the country, including Walmart, Sam's Club, Kroger, and many others. How did I miss this last year? It was only available online, so. Thanks, Nuggets! (laughs) You want to do something different for Thanksgiving this year, and they say turkeys may be in short supply. Uh, so thanks nuggets may be the answer. <laughs> I have to check that out. We're serving up thanks nuggets at my <laughs> Thanksgiving dinner this year. That is all kinds of awesome. Um, so I, you know, that uh, vaccines have been very much in, in the news, primarily the coronavirus vaccine. And we've talked about making sure that your kids have the other battery of vaccinations that they need. Uh, because many kids fell behind in the past year and all of that. So we've talked about this. How about this? Now, uh, Scientific American reports that U.S.-based scientists are reportedly working on a vaccine to combat the uh, response, the allergic response to poison ivy, poison oak, and poison sumac. You had a poison ivy vaccine. They say the compound called PDC-APB will likely have to be injected once every year or two to prevent the effects of poison ivy, poison oaks, poison sumac. Um, Hapton Sciences, the company that licensed the compound, passed initial safety testing in human beings and is about to be evaluated in a clinical trial. The American Skin Association says that as many as 50 million Americans are impacted by poison, ivy, oak, or sumac every year, and about 85% of the population is allergic to the plants, while around 10 to 15% are extremely allergic. Also, the plants grow everywhere in the U.S., with the exception of Hawaii, Alaska, and the deserts of Nevada. The only place you won't find poison ivy. I did not know that. 
The CDC notes that recognition of the plants is an important step to avoiding them, as is washing garden tools and gloves, wearing long sleeves and long pants, washing pets and washing skin and soap and cool water as soon as possible, if exposed. But in the future, maybe in the not-too-distant future, we may have a poison ivy vaccine. So I don't know if uh, that would create as much consternation as the coronavirus vaccine but would you if you've ever had poison ivy uh, or poison oak poison sumac you know uh, how horrible that experience can be would you take a vaccine to uh, rid yourself of it forever or i guess every couple of years you'd have to take one i think a lot of people would This is an interesting trend, uh, autumn being here. Autumn is uh, quickly becoming a very popular time for weddings. Used to be June was the month for weddings. Over the course of the past several years, that has gradually transformed to the autumn. The season of autumn has become very September, October, very popular for weddings. And a growing number of brides... This is according to an article in Harper's Bazaar. A growing number of brides are opting to walk down the aisle, not in a beautiful flowing white dress, but wearing all black. Notable wedding dress designer Vera Wang spoke about the use of the color black in her spring 2019 collection, telling Harper's Bazaar a lot of people were shocked. They said it was depressing to have brides in black. But she says... That's that's not the case at all. It is uh, very sexy. Um, which I don't know if you're a bride. Do you go to your wedding wanting to look sexy? I mean, you're not going for a date. <laughs> Presumably, you already have a date for <laughs> your wedding after all. But I know that's the uh, trendy thing is to have that sexy look. Um, and uh, she says Vera Wang says a lot of brides have embraced this. Uh, And as a result, a lot of uh, other brands have also added black bridal gowns to their collection. David's Bridal Senior Manager Laura McKeever says, We are definitely seeing an increase in brides considering alternative styles or colors like black gowns, tying into the trends that we're seeing during the uh, pandemic of non-traditional styles. They said they have seen nearly uh, four four times growth uh, year over year in black bridal gowns. And Google Trends data shows online queries about black wedding dresses have more than quadrupled from January of 2004. And uh, so don't be surprised the next time you go to a wedding, the bride is in black instead of white. I, I can see this. I mean, what do you, when you go out to a formal occasion, you know, basic black, the, the black sleek evening gown is kind of... Uh, traditional, so why not for for weddings? I guess I, I guess the uh, the idea behind it. And uh, here is maybe the biggest news of the day. We like to start each morning with the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. And this could be the biggest news that you will hear all day. The winner is in, and Two Cities Pizza in Mason, Ohio. Uh, which is just north of Cincinnati. Uh, Kings Island is in Mason, so if you've ever been to Kings Island, you know where it's at. Uh, Two Cities Pizza in Mason, Ohio, 
uh, is the winner of the 2021 America's Best Restroom Contest. That's right. Uh, The restroom is modeled after a New York City subway station, complete with a subway platform, train car, station stops playing over the speakers, subway handles on the sinks, and graffiti on the walls, even. Uh, Two Cities Pizza beat out nine other finalists for the title of America's Best uh, Restroom. Uh, The uh, finalists, back in July, they named the finalists, and I seem to recall mentioning that uh, Two Cities Pizza... Uh, here in, in, in Ohio, in the Buckeye State, was uh, up for the award, and it turns out they won it. Uh, nine other finalists ranged from zen-like adobes inside of an Atlanta Thai restaurant to a cottage-inspired portable abode in Santa Rosa, California. Last year's winner, by the way, was the self-cleaning restroom at Bancroft Park in Colorado Springs, Colorado. So uh, this is truly a national award and Twin Cities Pizza in Mason, Ohio. So if you're looking for some place to go this weekend, maybe <laughs> maybe check this out. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is something that you would be uh, would be worth a road trip uh, just uh, just for itself. But uh, <clears throat> in any in any event, there you go. Uh, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast showers today with a high only of 59. Fatal crashes are increasing across Ohio and a new report has revealed the deadliest stretch of highway in the state. The Ohio Department of Transportation reports traffic deaths are up by 12% this year and that if that pace continues, Ohio will mark a rise in traffic deaths in seven of the past eight years. The five-mile stretch of I-71 between Morse Road and 11th Avenue in Columbus is the deadliest five-mile stretch in the state of Ohio. That report also found Franklin County had the most deadly crashes of any of Ohio's 88 counties. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. An Ohio woman who refused to wear a mask at a middle school football game and ended up getting tased was in court. Alicia Kitts pleaded no contest to criminal trespass and resisting arrest and was ordered to pay an $850 fine. Kitts was arrested in September of 2020 after she refused multiple verbal warnings to wear a mask, as was required at that time. The Findlay-Hancock County Public Library has partnered with Findlay High School to bring the concept of the human library to the high school. Joel Manti says human volunteers act as books and are checked out for 15 minutes to afford the participant or the reader a chance to ask questions they might normally feel uncomfortable asking. Individuals and what, what they've gone through, we think we know what they've, their story is, but everyone's story is different. And, and it, it's so interesting and helpful to be able to sit down with someone and really put their face to, to their story and how it is so unique. He says the Human Library is coming to Finley High School on Saturday, October 16th from 1 to 4. Get more details on our website. A lawmaker in Northeast Ohio is asking the Ohio National Guard to drive kids to school. State Representative Kent Smith says the superintendent of the Euclid City School District reached out to him saying 25% of the district's drivers are out due to COVID. The governor did acknowledge the busing issue during a news conference and said utilizing the National Guard is an option. 
Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. You're listening to Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now to our cover story this morning. Earlier this week, the regular meeting of the Findlay City Schools Board of Education, there was some discussion about the city school's COVID policy and calls by some to modify that policy. Joining us this morning is Superintendent uh, Troy Roth. And uh, Troy, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. First of all, uh, obviously, this is all being fueled by the spread of the Delta variant. And uh, we know that it is more contagious. Uh, it, it is more Uh, We're seeing more serious cases in children as a result uh, of the uh, spread of the Delta variant. And yet you still feel and the board uh, uh, still feels that the masks optional policy of the uh, city schools is adequate. Why so? Good morning, Chris. Thanks for having me. Uh, Yeah, appreciate uh, appreciate your time. Uh, Yeah, currently our our policy is uh, masking is optional. Uh, we strongly recommend it uh, for our students, staff, and visitors as they come into the building. Uh, we are monitoring our numbers on a daily basis. We are in constant communication with the health department. Uh, we continuously have discussion at board meetings on uh, do we need to adjust this policy? Is it uh, meeting our needs? And we will continue to do so a- as we move throughout the year. It does seem as though, in, in looking at the uh, latest dashboard, uh, that the, uh, the number of cases is not insignificant. How does it compare where you are now with where you were, say, last year at this time? Uh, our, our student positives are a little higher than what they were last year. Uh, quarantines fluctuate quite a bit. Uh, as you can see on our dashboard, we can keep a column for confirmed close contacts, and these are students who are definitely quarantined, and we also keep a column that uh, of students that are currently undergoing contact tracing. So if, if you looked at our dashboard today, uh, you'll see we have 44 students K through 12 that are currently quarantined, but we have another uh, close to 400 students that are currently undergoing contact tracing with the health department to determine if, if they will be quarantined or not. The question, of course, goes beyond the students themselves and to staff. Uh, one of the concerns expressed by the uh, teachers union uh, was that uh, the the spread, uh, continued spread, may make it impossible to continue in-person learning. And in fact, uh, that was one of the things that, that did happen last year, right? It was a, a case where it didn't have staff, uh, enough staff to uh, man the classrooms, so he had to go back to uh, remote or hybrid uh, learning model. Is there any concern that you may be heading in that direction again? Uh, absolutely, Chris. Uh, that is why we went to uh, the remote uh, situation, the hybrid last November, uh, was because of the inability to, to get substitute and cover our students in person. Uh, we, are, we are monitoring that. Uh, it is a concern. Uh, that we have. Uh, We definitely need to make sure our students and our classrooms are covered uh, right now. Our principals, other teachers, other staff members are covering when a substitute is not available, but what that does, it pulls them away from their job. So uh, we are monitoring that very closely. Uh, You know, my belief is that, and our board's belief is that we want to do everything we can uh, to prevent us from going to a hybrid situation or anything that is less than five days a week of in-person learning. So Mm -hmm. We will explore every option to to make that uh, 
to maintain our five days in-person learning uh, before we would go to remote or a hybrid situation. And to be fair, the uh, issue of uh, available substitutes, uh, that was a, a, a critical issue even pre-pandemic. I mean, the pandemic has uh, exasper- exacerbated the problem, but this uh, was an issue that existed uh, even before uh, we had the COVID-19 you know, thrown into the mix. It is. Substitutes have been a been a problem for, for several years around the country, not just in Finley City Schools, but uh, you're right, the COVID situation has just uh, saturated that uh, situation where subs are either, are either not available or people are not choosing to uh, substitute. Uh, and, you know, we have roughly 74 teaching subs available to us, uh, but, you know, there's days or there's a number of those subs that have chosen uh you know, I'm not going to work on this day or I'm not working at all until COVID is uh, alleviated and it's not a concern. So mm-hmm. uh, we continue to monitor that situation, uh, and you are you 100% correct. That is uh, an issue we had last year, and it's starting to uh, creep its ugly head again this year, I guess. The other uh, issue related to that that has, again, not been unique to this area but nationwide is a shortage of bus drivers. What about transportation issues for the uh, city schools? Uh, we are not overstaffed in that area. Uh, if we would have a outbreak of quarantines or COVID situations in the bus garage, uh, it would definitely, uh, hamper our ability to transport students. So, uh, we definitely are monitoring that. We are definitely looking at, uh, hiring more bus drivers. We really are in need of sub bus drivers. Uh, Kelly Young, who's in charge of our HR and community relations, attended a job fair yesterday at, uh, 50 North, so mm-hmm. hopefully uh, we are attracting, uh, and it's not just bus drivers, it's all classified positions, food service workers, substitute teachers, aides, uh, all school districts are, are suffering and, and are in need of those positions. When we talk about the uh, protocols and the uh, COVID policies, uh, who ulti- ultimately makes the decision? Is it yourself? Is it the, the school board? Uh, is it done at the building level? Who ultimately uh, decides what the policy will be for the district? Uh, our decisions are made through myself and, and through the board. Uh, if we make a change in our masking policy, it will be it will be a board decision uh, that we would make a change if we are to mandate masking. But as far as uh, protocols that we follow, quarantine issuing, that is all through the Hancock Public Health. And is there a scenario that would trigger a change in the policy? I mean, uh, I, I guess, uh, are there certain criteria that have been set up that, that say if we reach a certain level of spread or if we have a certain number of kids in, in quarantine, that this would uh, trigger a, uh, a policy change? Or is it more a play-it-by-ear, uh, as-we-go-along kind of uh scenario. Yeah, I, I think, Chris, it's going to boil down to our ability to, to cover students. And, you know, if we're seeing multiple quarantines of students, one thing we don't want to do, I know last year we had multiple times where students were quarantined three or four times, taking them out of school for seven to 10 days at a time. Uh, we obviously don't want to see that. But the biggest issue right now that we'll continue to monitor is our ability to uh, cover students and classrooms with adults uh, so so that we can keep school open. So that, that's the main thing we're looking at right now. But uh, we're not tied to any color-coded map at, at this point. We're not mm-hmm. tied to a certain percentage or a number at this point. But uh, we spend a lot of our day looking at numbers, and our dashboard is live and 
up to date as numbers are entered. We are seeing that in real time, so we monitor that very closely. And for those uh, students who are quarantined and who are not in class, what are the learning options there? I mean, certainly uh, it, you don't want kids just out of school for a week or so at a time uh, without uh, you know being part of the academic uh, environment. So are they remote learning or are, they, uh, are there alt- alternatives? It's, 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 yeah, it's really a combination of, of what the teacher is comfortable with and what the student is comfortable with. We, we've instructed our staff that they need to move the student's education forward uh, so they're not falling behind. But, uh, you know, if you're being quarantined multiple times, that, that becomes difficult. So. Yeah. You know, it's very taxing on our staff, you know, that uh, they're teaching students in person and then they have, you know, a number of students that are quarantined. So it's extra work for them as well. But uh, it's really whatever the teacher and student are comfortable with uh, to move their education forward. Well, certainly it uh, is uh, difficult on all involved, which is why this continues to come up and continues to be discussed. Again, uh, Findlay City School Superintendent Troy Roth uh, with us this morning discussing the discussion uh, at this week's uh, board meeting on the uh, COVID policy and uh, some calls by some to uh, modify that policy would continue uh, to uh, follow this uh, throughout the entire school year. Uh, Troy, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. The latest news, sports, weather, and so much more. Good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Senator Sherrod Brown joins us on the line this morning. He is among those who are working to once again extend the pandemic-related eviction moratorium. Senator, thanks very much for uh, taking the time uh, this morning. You, of course, are the uh, chair of the Senate Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs uh, Committee. So looking very closely at this, why the need to extend this yet again? Well, it, we know the problems are, are great because of this pandemic and the economy still hasn't recovered and our hospitals are too full. I was at the family center in Fenley a couple of weeks ago with Mayor Murren and others, and then I joined her on a call this week, too, about this. And then last week also was um, had a, a meeting, a public meeting with the Chief Justice and of the Ohio Supreme Court. Uh, she's a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I, we've never done anything quite like that to talk about her efforts to keep people from being evicted by using this fed, these federal dollars to get help to landlords and to get help to, um, well, that, uh, to, to tenants. And it's so important we do that. That's the question that a lot of people have. And this certainly uh, we want to help those who are, are still struggling with this. But where does that leave landlords who, in many cases, are not talking about big uh, you know, apartment complex owners, you know, big corporations? We're talking about individuals who rely on that uh, rental income to make their uh, ends meet. That's exactly the solution we want is, and I've been working with the landlords and the tenants on this, to, that these dollars, rather than evicting someone, the, the tenant ends up living in the basement of somebody that maybe has COVID, who knows, um, that the landlord instead is made whole with these federal dollars that are available. So the, the, just, the chief justice said, let's make sure every judge in the state, when someone comes to eviction court, that they find out if there's a local community program like at the Family Center at Finley. They've done such such important work. Uh, religious groups and non-religious groups both in the, in the city, in, in Hancock County, um, they've reached out to people to make sure that those dollars are available to the tenants, to the landlords, because I, I know of many cases where 
a retired couple will rent out the other half of their house and they have to pay a mortgage too, or at least they have living expenses. Maybe mm-hmm. the mortgage is paid off, but they've got expenses too, and they count on that rent. And we want to make sure the landlord um, gets that money so that and, that and that the tenant's not evicted. It's a it's a win win situation like that. So that's really going to be the answer rather than legislative, because we know that uh, the uh, uh, eviction moratorium extension that the administration uh, put forth was struck down uh, by the uh, by the Supreme Court. This is the alternative that you feel is is actually going to work? Yeah, I think this is what we've wanted to do all along. Congress passed these dollars back in the some of the worst times in the pandemic, uh, and local communities have not figured out how to get the dollars to land to the landlords to prevent eviction. I mean, the, the, the eviction moratorium was a good thing. President Trump started it. President Biden continued it. The Supreme Court, after a year and a half or so, struck it down. Um, we want to make landlords whole. We want to make tenants, keep tenants in their apartments. Uh, and this is the way to do it. And the involvement of the Chief Justice of Ohio. And she's, she's, I believe, the only one in the country doing this. And I'm working with her after we did our little event in Lakewood last week um, to get other states around the country to do the same thing. So for how long should this uh, eviction moratorium continue? Because eventually uh, these uh, renters, these tenants, are going to have to stand on their own two feet. Well, most of them already are. and, and the, I mean, the money runs out. And once the money runs out, the moratorium is, is essentially expired. Many states have reenacted a moratorium. Ohio hasn't. Um, Ohio seems to be, I don't know, I'll just leave it at that. Um, but uh, the, the money runs out when it runs out, which will be sometime this fall. And by then, I'm hopeful that people that this, I mean, there's still, there still will be too many evictions. Too many people are struggling in this country. Too many people lose their apartments and um, end up in a worse situation. So, but this is, this is a response to the pandemic. Pandemic will end at some point if more people get vaccinated uh, and we move forward then. Again, uh, Senator Sherrod Brown with us uh, this morning. This is a, an issue that, uh, again, even though the Supreme Court recently struck down the uh, administration's extension of the eviction moratorium, this is an issue that is not necessarily going away. And as chair of the uh, Senate Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs Committee, Senator Sherrod Brown uh, among those uh, working to extend that eviction moratorium in some way, shape, or form. Senator, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much, Chris. Now, the Good Mornings Community and Business Spotlight. Sarah Sisser is here from the Hancock Historical Museum, and Oktoberfest is coming up this weekend. Back to an in-person event this year, which is awesome. And I know we say this almost every every year, it's bigger and better than ever, but it is literally bigger this year. <laughs> it literally is. We have three full blocks this year, so we'll be going uh, on Main Street from Hardin Street to Main Cross Street. So in 2019, we had our largest festival yet. We had over 6,000 people uh, on Main Street that day, and it was a great time, but we did see that the lines were long and people were kind of Schmushed together there in two blocks. So um, we had talked. Schmushed. That's a good German word. Yeah. There, I think. <laughs> With short German origins. Yeah. Um, we had talked to the city about expanding uh, the actual physical footprint of the festival, mm-hmm. so that we could cut down maybe on some of those lines. Yeah. And just give people a little bit more room to to move. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, with COVID, um, now it's a, 
of great benefit that we have that additional space so people can space sure, out a little absolutely. bit more this year. And uh, more space means uh, more stuff to fill it. That's You've right. got uh, more micro brews coming in than ever before. Right. We really want to thank our partner, Finley Brewing Company, for this because they've helped us every year to kind of curate the microbreweries. And so this year we have 15 microbreweries wow. from all over Northwest Ohio and a few from uh, Southern Ohio as well. So if you're into craft beer, this is a really great festival to come out um, and try a wide variety of beers. We also have a lot of German import beers and just domestic beers that come um, with our other distributors. But the microbrews, you know, you can really come down and support local. We have Finley Brewing Company. Their Oktoberfest is our official beer of Oktoberfest Finley. Um, and just uh, try some some great beers. So we're thankful to have all of those partners with us. Now, even if you are not a beer connoisseur, don't think that Oktoberfest is not for you because there's a lot of other stuff going on, lots of food. Absolutely. We have, of course, everyone's favorite every year is Schmidt's Sausage House from Columbus. And last year, they were so great to come up and do a drive through version of Oktoberfest with us, which yeah. sold out. Um, this year, they're just as excited as we are about coming back downtown to Finley. We are their largest festival every year. So um, they will be there with the Bahama Mamas and the Cream Puffs. We also have Psalms from Cary, and they're a great partner as well. They're our official bratwurst of Oktoberfest Finley. They have their Brody Wagon that'll be down there. Um, and we have really just a variety of food this year. We have um, Stella Blue, which is some Southern-inspired food. Okay. We have Lyle's Crepes coming from Toledo, so you can get some crepes if you like. Um, just some great food vendors down there, so something for everyone. And if you're not into the beer, um, you know we also have the live entertainment, the mm-hmm. dancing, um, the contest that you can observe uh, throughout the evening. And it's a family-friendly festival, right. so we have a children's area as well. A ton of community partners participating in that children's area, and that will go from 2 to 7 p.m. on Saturday. Bring the kids down. They can make some crafts, join in uh, with some great activities, a lot of educational activities with our community partners. So a fun for the entire family, something for everyone, literally something for everyone. And obviously... To pull this off, it's not something that you could do by yourself. Absolutely. We have truly an army of volunteers that uh, will help us on Saturday and have been helping us throughout the year, actually, to plan the event. Um, I also want to give a lot of credit to our major sponsors. Of course, Premier Bank is our presenting sponsor. They have been for a few years now, and they're um, wonderful partners. I'd also like to thank Finley Brewing Company, AMRI, Freudenberg, Alexandria's, um, our local radio stations here, TJD, Visit Finley, City Apparel and Radio Hospital, and Finley Implement. Um, They've all helped us uh, each year to pull off this great event. So again, Oktoberfest, Findlay is coming up on Saturday. Give us all of the uh, ins and outs, all of the details here. Great. Come down and join us on Saturday, September 25th, this Saturday from 2 to 10.30 p.m. The children's area is open from 2 to 7 p.m. We are on Main Street from Hardin Street to West Main Cross. There will be entry points at both ends of the festival and on Sandusky Street. Uh, Come and have a great time. Enjoy the live performances with our bands, um, Dwayne Malinowski, in Anthony Kolker and the International Sound Machine, some great polka music, dance, imbibe, have some great food, um, and enjoy a day in downtown Finley. It's going to be a great time. Again, Sarah Sisser with us. Uh, Sarah, thanks very much for dropping by. Thank you. The Community and Business Spotlight is a promotional advertisement paid for by the featured sponsor. Our Throwback Thursday segment this morning to say that the political divide in our nation is becoming wider all the time would be an understatement. 
Are we past the point of no return, or is it still possible for right and left to come together and strengthen our nation once again? Syndicated columnist Jackie Cushman is the daughter of and former senior advisor to one-time House Speaker Newt Gingrich and author of the book, Our Broken America. We spoke to her about the book back in September of 2019. It is today's Throwback Thursday. This is not necessarily anything new. Our country has always been divided along political lines. But where in your mind did we cross the line? In other words, was there a specific tipping point where you said to yourself, I need to write this book, I need to speak up and try and get the public discourse back on the right track? We've always been divided, but we've always been able to talk about um, our differences of opinion and to do so respectfully. And during my research, I learned that 86% of Americans shared the same concern that I have, this concern that we're way too polarized um, in our country. And I really am determined that we have to find a way to get over this polarization and to learn how to disagree Agreeably. It is rather ironic that the vast majority recognize that this is a problem, uh, and yet the problem continues to get worse. What are uh, some of the factors? I mean, a lot of the, the blame you hear people talking about, you know, what is driving this divide? Is it uh, the traditional media? Is it the alternative media? Is it social media? What are the factors that, in your mind, are driving this deep divide that we see today? There are a few things. So while people like to lay blame, and I'll talk about what happened, I really think it's our responsibility, each and every one of us, to solve the problem. But there are a couple of things. One is we have, um, instead of you know a short news window, like when I was young, we now have 24-hour news, right? not only news channels, but news opinion right. channels. We now have social media where you can go on at 3 in the morning and you can you know, rant about whatever you're, you think about in the middle of the night. Uh, and you can do that from the safety of your own bed. You don't even have to talk to the other person, which is a huge difference. There is no escape valve where you used to escape into your home or with your friends and not have right, all this kind of swirling um, information around you. Now your phone is always with you. Mm-hmm. And um, we know now that it's very easy to get addicted to phones and to want that immediate gratification. The other thing that's happened is what I call the sportification of politics, which is once we had the Bush-Gore recount every day forever, um, that was the first time we had constant red and blue maps of the nation. And that's when we really started, I think, looking at politics more as a sport than as a belief system. Kind of hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube. What can be done to bring people together given the new reality? So you can't change... This national narrative with um, nationally, you have to do it locally. So my advice is to, quite frankly, disconnect from social media on occasion and go to lunch with someone in the opposite party. <laughs> Part of what I found is that 64% of Democrats and 55% of Republicans have few or no friends in the opposite party. Mm. So quite frankly, we could all make a difference if we went out and, and had lunch with right someone in the opposite party. Not to agree with them, but, but to learn about them and to learn how to disagree agreeably. Yeah. And it really starts in the local community um, level. And the best way to do this, I found, is I found it's really helpful to, to go. I, I live in Atlanta, and so I've gone into the Atlanta community, and I've found um, problems that I really care about. So I work on homelessness and education and the environment, and then I will work with anyone who cares about that problem. I, I don't care what, what political party they're from. It doesn't matter to me. We're focused on solving that local problem. And then as time goes by, right, and, and you make progress on that problem, then you can share your solutions. 
And yes, I might not agree with everything that they agree with politically, but we now have a relationship that transcends politics and, quite frankly, makes a really big difference in our lives. We also need to learn, and and you make this point as well, to separate the emotion from the political argument. I mean, in some respects, uh, people are, are very passionate about their political positions and with good reason, but separating that raw uh, base emotion from the debate is critical. You're exactly right, and I, you know, I tell people all the time. I mean, I'm glad people are passionate, and they should be passionate about politics. But passion does not have to lead to ranting. Um, and if you look at this and in, in behaviors, that I'm, I'm going to give you um, an example of children, right? So they, they they start ranting and raving. You don't get you don't make things better by screaming back at them, right? Mm-hmm. You have to provide boundaries and, and determine what is acceptable or not. But screaming back at the other side about your position does, quite frankly, not result in them hearing better. So I think we really, um, you know, we really have to take a pause and figure out, are we really communicating the right way? Mm -hmm. If we just scream back at the other side, are they really hearing anything, or they just know that we're screaming? Yeah. Um, I really think for the long-term health of our country, we really have to um, change how we approach politics. And not only learn how to state the case uh, better, but how to listen better as well. The uh, book is called uh, Our Broken America, Why Both Sides Need to Stop Ranting and Start Listening. Jackie Gingrich Cushman is the author. And where do folks go to uh, learn more about the book? So I can be found at JackieCushman.com, and that's Cushman with a C. Jackie, thanks for the time. Thank you so much for having me on. I love what she says there. Is Screaming at the other side doesn't make them hear better. It's a really a fascinating book and more relevant now than it was when we first talked to her back in September of 2019. It is called Our Broken America, Our Throwback Thursday with Jackie Gingrich Cushman, daughter of and former senior advisor to former House Speaker Newt Gingrich. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. So the uh, school bus driver uh, shortage nationally has been a, a big news story. It's uh, everywhere. They're uh, uh, having issues with finding enough drivers to transport kids to and from school and extracurricular activities and and all of that uh, we've experienced it here locally and all across the nation in boston the uh, driver shortage has resulted in some students riding a party bus on a recent field trip <laughs> you know one of those uh, wedding party buses that's what uh the kids at the uh, brook charter school had to take a party bus after their originally scheduled charter bus fell through a teacher posted a picture of the students on board, complete with neon lights and stripper poles and the whole thing. <laughs> Officials say the students had a great time. <laughs> I'll bet they did. I'll bet they did. I believe that the bar was closed. But uh, <laughs> the incident, they say, underscores the very serious shortage that schools across the U.S. are having to deal with. Well, any port in the storm, I suppose. That's... Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, Canadian officials say... And this is also virus-related. You know that uh, there's been a pushback, not just in this country, a pushback over vaccine mandates and uh, COVID rules and regulations. Canadian officials say a man 
punched a nurse after the nurse gave his wife a COVID-19 vaccine without his permission. Apparently his wife wanted the vaccine, but he didn't want her to have it. And because he wasn't asked, uh, the man reportedly confronted the female nurse at a pharmacy in Quebec, yelling about how the vaccine was given to his wife without his authorization. Last I knew, his, his, I think his wife was able to uh, get the vaccine if she wanted it without his permission, but he was not happy with that. So upset that he punched the nurse in the face. Don't do this. It is not clear uh, whether the man has been charged. Anti-vax protests have increased in Canada over the course of the past week uh, prior to the federal election in that country. So, Punched a nurse in the face because his wife got a vaccine without his permission. Wow. This is kind of a cool story. Suzanne Maricano was walking her dog near a lake at Burnt, uh, at Burt Aronson Park near Boca Raton last month when she took the animal off its leash so it could play in the water. Now, if you know anything about Florida, you know that any body of water could contain what? Gators. And sure enough, she soon spotted a shadow in the lake, which turned out to be an alligator about six feet long that attacked the dog in the water, gripping it in its jaws. Ms. Maricano said she fought back and came down on the alligator with all my weight. She suffered a puncture wound in the middle of her palm during the tussle, had to receive five stitches, but otherwise was unharmed. Uh, the dog suffered puncture wounds to her stomach and thigh, uh, but came out of uh, surgery uh, at a local emergency animal clinic, and uh, apparently the dog's going to recover. I should mention, Suzanne is 74 years old. 74 years old, taking on a gator to save her dog. There's all kinds of awesome there. What would you do in this situation? Man from Ledyard, Connecticut, apparently broke into a family's home on Monday evening and and decided that he now owned the house. Uh, The family's 16-year-old son came home to find the front door locked and a man inside wearing only shorts who opened the window and told him, this isn't your house anymore, and then closed the window back up. (laughs) Can you imagine being 16 years old, come home, find your door locked, and some stranger in the house saying, this isn't your house anymore. This is... This is my house now. When police eventually found 31-year-old Benjamin Dom hiding in the second-floor bedroom, he told them, I live here with my girlfriend. There shouldn't be any problems. She'll be home shortly. (laughs) The issue was Mr. Dom was actually 20 miles away from his own apartment. He was arrested and charged with third-degree burglary, among other things. The state police report makes no other references to uh, Mr. Dom's mental state or whether he may have been intoxicated. But I have a feeling that there might be some intoxicating substance involved. (laughs) This isn't your house anymore. This is now my house. (laughs) Speaking of homes, a Colorado contractor 
was caught on camera destroying a new bathroom that he had worked on over a dispute with a client over a $4,000 payment for work completed. The uh, homeowner's neighbors filmed the video that showed Terry Gregory of uh, Home Remodels, Inc., swinging a giant sledgehammer and knocking new tiling and fixtures from the shower walls while yelling. At one point, he screams, we put weeks into this, thousands of dollars into this. The homeowner says she paid $3,300 of a $7,500 balance. The contractor uh, sent her a pay request for the remaining balance, and uh, she said, and said the homeowner had to pay by that evening, it was a Friday, September 17th, that all of this happened, and he wanted payment immediately. Uh, the homeowner said she initially asked um, to see the finished product first, get receipts. She wanted receipts proving the contractors had ordered a shower door they needed to install, and ensure she wanted to ensure that water would flow properly through the newly installed plumbing before paying. Well, apparently the contractor <laughs> didn't want to wait. At 9.30 a.m. the next morning, the contractor demanded payment and showed up to the house. And when he didn't get his payment immediately, he started destroying the bathroom that he had just installed. Um, so, since the footage circulated online, Dream Homes Remodeling has taken down its Facebook page and its website. It apparently is no longer in business. Wow. Talk about a dispute. And 24 hours to pay. That's it. That's that's all that's all you get. Man. And finally in the uh, broken news this morning, check this out. A homeless man in Pennsylvania is now facing up to 7 years in prison over a 43 cent theft. Uh, Joseph Sobolewski allegedly saw a sign at a convenience store in Perry County for uh two uh, Mountain Dew soft drinks at a convenience store, 2 for 3 bucks. So he grabbed one, put $2 on the counter, and walked out. As it turns out, without the deal, each bottle came out to $2.43. The clerk actually called police, and they charged Mr. Sobolewski with a felony because of the uh, three strikes law. Uh, he is, his other two theft charges happened more than a decade ago. But he is now being held on a $50,000 bond that faces up to seven years in prison over a 43-cent theft. Wow. It's another one of those, are you kidding me, kind of uh, stories. I mean, theft is theft, but seven years in prison for uh, Mountain Dew? 43 cents short on a Mountain Dew? There you go. That is... Moral of the story, always carry exact change. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. WFIN says thank you for listening. And remember, you can listen around the clock on computer, smartphone, or tablet. Start your day with Chris Oaks and good mornings. And stay with us all day long. You also get CBS Sports Radio plus all of our locally originated sports programming. Listen live whenever you like at 1330 WFIN, 95.5 FM, and at WFIN.com, where you can also grab our free mobile apps for iOS or Android. 
And now, your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. If you look through the storage on your digital devices lately, chances are good you got a ton of junk that is just uh, taking up memory space uh, on your phone, your tablet, your computer. New survey of 2,000 Americans commissioned by Western Digital, which is the maker of uh, hard drives and uh, SD cards and flash drives, digital storage devices, shows that 60% of Americans almost never delete pictures and videos from our phones and our other digital devices. And I have to admit, I'm probably as guilty of it as anybody. 60% never delete pictures. 56% of those digital hoarders say that they are storing photos, uh, more photos on their devices since the start of the pandemic. Uh, 44% of the respondents in the poll say photos and videos are the biggest offenders clogging up their device storage. Uh, but other things, 41% of us uh, need to clean up unnecessary documents we've been saving. 38% are still holding on to screenshots like old memes and whatever else they found worth saving at some point. For some reason, we're just holding on to those. 43% say that they uh, their digital uh, hoarding has sentimental value to them. Not surprising, then, that 65% in the survey say their camera roll could use some of that uh, organizing magic. 66% of those polled say it has been more than six months since they have digitally cleaned house. On average, the oldest files on our phones, and you can see how you stack up to this, on average, the oldest files on people's phones and other devices are four years old. And that, it probably could be even older, uh, but for the fact that we switch up devices so often. I mean... I have stuff on, on old phones that I no longer use that I never have deleted. So I probably still, if I go through all my old devices, I probably have even more junk that I uh, haven't cleaned up. But in any event, uh, 36% use the old hoarder excuse that they may need the stuff in the future. So that's why they're hanging on to it. 32% say they don't have time to get their stuff organized. What were you doing with this whole year of the pandemic, huh? And 31% say they are holding on to old stuff to show people those files and pictures some point in the future. So I, I see myself in a lot of this, I have to admit. <music> Teresa White is here, a development director for the Fort Findlay FOP Lodge Number 20 Foundation, um, which is taking over the upcoming annual Finley Halloween Parade. Uh, it is one of the most anticipated events of the entire year, and now it is kind of under new management, as it were. And uh, has, has this been, uh, has, have, what, have you said to yourself, have I bitten off more than I can chew on this? <laughs> it has been rather beautiful chaos around lately. <laughs> I like that term, beautiful chaos, because uh, every uh, every time I talk with uh, folks who have organized this in the past, of course, Hancock Leadership has uh, has done it for the past several years. And people say, "Man, this is a huge undertaking," because it is the uh, the biggest uh, parade I think of uh, the entire year. So it is. It is the the Halloween parade is Finley's. Uh, 
most attended one-time family-oriented event. Mm-hmm. And the amount of planning that goes into it, I am just in awe of those that have come before us. <laughs> the the work that they have put in and the foundation that they have laid for our foundation to be able to come in and pick it up and run with it. It's been a real blessing. Because you don't uh, realize until you get into it just uh, how much is involved in uh, putting this all together. There was definitely a long portion of we didn't know what we didn't know. <laughs> and then a lot of sadness when we did know what we didn't know. <laughs> but the good news is it's all coming together. It is. So, and and, uh, huge response from the community as always. I think the community is very excited to get out and people again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, We have 52 paid entries in the parade right now. Uh, Plenty of space left. If anybody would like to still register, early bird registration is still open until October 1st. Uh, But preferred placement is sold out. So if you wanted to be in one of those first 20 spots in the parade, better luck next year. Yeah. Uh, but we still got plenty of space for everybody. Uh, we have for, uh, for-profit registration. We have nonprofit registration. Um, and we would like to get as many of the local marching bands as possible. Safety service vehicles, the township fire departments, county fire, all of those fun things. We want to get them all in the parade. Yeah. Uh, so give us all of the details uh, on the parade, first of all. The parade will be held Tuesday, October 26th. Mm-hmm. It kicks off at the intersection of South Main Street and Lake Cascades, and it will march northbound on South Main Street all the way to Lima Avenue. I okay. would recommend getting your spots early, especially if we have nice weather that absolutely. day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so if uh, folks want to be a part of the parade, as you mentioned, obviously still plenty of room for additional entries. How do they go about doing that? So on the FOP's website, we have all of the information about registration. We also have information about how you can sponsor the parade and how you can volunteer at the parade. The website is fortfinleyfop20.org. And the foundation that has uh, taken over uh, the uh, organization efforts of the uh, of the parade is still relatively new. And I know we've talked about it before, but uh, talk a little bit about, for those who are unfamiliar, uh, what the foundation is all about. So the Fort Finley FOP Lodge Number 20 has been involved in Finley for a very long time. And for approximately the last 20 years, their marquee program was Shop with a Cop. Mm-hmm. And every year, about 100, 100, 125 kids were taken shopping at Meyer for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was determined by the board last year that uh, they wanted to go in a, a, a little bit of a different direction. And we no longer use the trademark Shop with a Cop and the fundraising company that came with them. We decided to move everything in-house. So all of the fundraising, all of the programming. So you're still doing that. It's just uh, under the local umbrella, the independent umbrella. Yes. Yeah. So we're still doing we're still doing the exact same shopping event. We're still taking kids shopping this year. We're still taking them to Meyer. Uh, selection process is exactly the same. We're just using the trademark Cops and Kids because that is through our national FOP lodge, and it's free for us to use. And. With the use of that, you've actually uh, expanded that into other uh, programs as well. Yes. We're looking to expand it into other programs as well. Yes, we've been able to do that. We've been so grateful. With Shop with a Cop, we were pegged to one event every year at Christmas, and that was it. Mm-hmm. So now, because we are using Cops and Kids, our programming has expanded. We have five different programs now that we're running through the lodge. So we have the potential to reach so many more kids every year. And that helps with our mission statement, which is building positive relationships between citizens and law enforcement through youth and community programming. We can do that all year long now instead of just at Christmas. And of course, uh, as anyone who pays attention to the news uh, knows, that is such an important part, uh, outreach to the community between law enforcement and, and bridging those what are sometimes divides. 
Absolutely. Not only are we in the position to create more opportunities for those positive interactions, but we can also publicize those interactions that have been happening every day all along. Yeah. And I am really excited about that. And the community has really responded and embraced this. Absolutely. We are very blessed here in Finley and Hancock County that we are a very pro-law enforcement community and that our guys always feel the support of the community that they have behind them. And that's definitely evident with how they've rallied behind our biggest fundraiser now, the 2021 Cops and Kids Halloween Parade presented by Lone Depot. Uh, and a lot of uh, sponsorship uh, uh a lot of sponsorship uh, dollars that have come in, a lot of uh, people who have, have really stepped forward in that respect, too. Absolutely. Uh, we are very grateful to Lone Depot for presenting the parade for us this mm-hmm. year. Uh, South Branch Solar has also provided some sponsorship dollars. And just yesterday, Val Film stepped in and awesome. provided some as well. So we're very, very grateful. Kudos all the way around. So the Halloween parade is, what's the date again? Tuesday, October 26th. Okay, so circle that on your calendar because, again, as we said, it is like the number one single-day event. And uh, rain or shine or anything else. (laughs) Yep, rain or shine, snow, sleet. You know, this is Ohio, 90 degrees. We've done it. We've done it in all... I, I, I always talk about the the fact that when I first uh, came to the community, and this has been 20-plus years ago, 25 years ago now, um, the first Halloween parade, uh, the weather was calling for sleet and, like, 30 degrees, and I thought, this is going to be a disaster. And I got downtown, and we were you know doing our broadcast thing, and I was amazed at how many people... Which I my my jaw was frozen shut. I couldn't talk <laughs> on the air because my jaw was frozen shut. I was so so cold, and yet the the people were just. I mean, it was you know four or five deep all the way through the parade route. So I mean, this is definitely a whatever weather condition Mother Nature throws at us kind of event. Whatever is so. thrown at us, we are hosting a parade this year. We are so <laughs> we're so excited and so grateful for the community support. Yeah. Uh, and again, all of the information uh, uh, on the parade and for those who still want to get an entry in uh, up there, is there a deadline for the entries? By so the uh, early bird registration ends on October 1st. Okay. Um, after that, you'll pay a little bit of an increased rate and parade registration is over october 22nd okay that gives us a couple of days to take all the registrations and put it together uh, put it in order for the most amazing parade possible uh and i'm sure it will be amazing again the uh, halloween parade under new management as it were this year coming up uh in uh, late october Teresa white uh, development director fort finley fop lodge 20 foundation mention again the uh, website our website is fort finley fop20.org We've got it linked up at our webpage as well. Teresa, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us. And that will wrap up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, and that is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, there is nothing like the beauty of autumn colors. We get the official fall foliage forecast from the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, plus terrific tailgate recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. Until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, going out and making it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.